you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell, and today I'm talking to Norm Schriever for the second time. If you haven't heard our first episode, Norm is a travel author. He is now a podcast host of a show called Where in the World, and he is currently in Tamarindo, Costa Rica. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. You know, it's so interesting how your normal chat voice goes to your smooth radio voice huh? that's hilarious yeah my voice definitely changes a lot like when i when i'm with my friends my voice is really high and then when i'm here i'm like hello what's you go up? To your smooth <laughs> mellow podcast voice i like it yeah. it's good thanks well you're a podcaster now too so do you think you have that as well i don't know um i just like to chat you know like if i try to make it all formal and serious and rigid it just doesn't work so for me like to try to just keep it authentic which is what I think people want Mm -hmm. Um, I just usually start a call or a zoom or an interview with people and just hit record and like we're just chatting for an hour and we don't know when it starts or ends so yeah but I've, I've always done like some sort of media stuff with different speaking or workshops or presenting or teaching I've done some radio in the past Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've had a business podcast for a long time. And so now I just started, like you said, my, my own personal podcast, uh, um, who in the world, not where in the world, but oh, who in the world. no, my it's God. all good. It's all good. And that's the thing. It's supposed to make you think of where in the world, but mm-hmm. it's really about the people that I've met, uh, being an expat for 10 years now or traveling around. And so it's always about the crazy, interesting, fun wacky people you meet so I'm like I should like actually record and sit down and have a conversation with them and see where it goes so how has that been going have you I know you interviewed two people so far or you've published two interviews so far but has it been going the way you thought um people are reluctant to get on the podcast and that's probably a good thing because it means they have secrets and they're guilty and they don't want to reveal them. Right. So I have to be like, Hey, remember that podcast? Let's get on there and talk about the time you were drunk and like running down the street in San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua, you know, and they're like, oh, I'd rather not talk about that, but okay. You know, so it's, it takes a little more gentle nudging than I thought, but it's actually rolling along fine. And yeah, I just finished my second one. Um, there's being down here in Tamarindo, Costa Rica. Now I'm seeing a few opportunities of like some really cool people I could interview. And one that hopefully fingers crossed I'm excited about is Robert August. And for people who don't know him, he's like the surf guru who started, uh, he, he started with the whole film endless summer and endless summer two in the sixties and like started basically Tamarindo and put a lot of places on the map as surf destinations. And he's still, you know, he's probably in his 70s now, at least. And he's still kicking around and having fun. And he makes surfboards. But he's like, 
you know, the godfather of surfing around the world. And so if I could interview him, that'd be super dope. That would be amazing. Mm. I have to listen in. I have to listen to your episodes. I haven't listened to any of them, but the two you've got sound really cool. You interviewed one guy from Australia. Didn't you interview a big fighter? I can't remember. Yeah. So um, they're actually both fighters, these two guys, but uh, Judd Reed was the first one. He's a great friend of Mm -hmm. mine, but he's also literally like a little, legend in, in the world of karate or Kyokushin karate he was oh, wow. heavyweight champ at one point he trained when he was young in Japan under like the master for a thousand days when this is the early 90s when there was no internet he didn't know a word of Japanese there was no foreigners there um, and even more remarkable he did something he finished something called the hundred man fight or kumite and so he literally fought a hundred black belts or like accomplished karate dudes in a row without a break. Wow. And so that's like three and a half hours of getting punched and kicked and, and it's full contact. And so um, it's, they describe it as like doing a marathon while getting punched and kicked the whole time. It's superhuman. And he was only the 19th person on earth to ever achieve it. Wow. So, and he also, like I say, he's a great friend of mine. And so we, we, um, wrote I helped write his first book The Young Lions and so and there was a documentary um, 100 Man Fight and so now we're finishing up the second book so that should be out in like a month or something and when that comes out we'll have him on the podcast again and the second dude is this guy we call Big Wave and he's this big hulking crazy Canadian guy that I knew when I lived in San Juan uh, del Sur Nicaragua and just a super interesting I mean he looks like Wolverine from the movies, you know, he's a, just a street brawler, motorcycle dude, great surfer, but he's got some interesting stories. So he was a fun one on the the second podcast. Yeah. That's awesome. I think the coolest part is that they're your friends. So you have the stories kind of like your writing style. You have the stories that go beyond and like, you know, like the stories that they probably don't want to say, but mm-hmm. you can get it out of them. That's hilarious. Yeah, and, and like, you know, like to the whole point we talked about with the podcast and stuff, people want real, you know? So these guys are amazing human beings and individuals and have done amazing things, but, you know, the accomplishments are great. But when you hear the humanity, the real stories, the struggles, or just the, the funny stuff, the crazy little stuff, um, that that you don't find anywhere else. So that's that's what you get with the podcast. So one day we'll have you on the podcast too. Of course, you're going to be a guest. <laughs> Thanks. I'm excited. That'll be fun. It'll be <laughs> you weird to have it. you interviewing me, but I would mm-hmm. love to. <laughs> we'll flip it, huh? Yeah, we'll flip it. Probably <laughs> after I turn 21. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I get some of the stories out. <laughs> um, I want to dive in because you're in Tamarindo and it was your birthday yesterday Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in the book in the first book i read that came out in 2011 south of normal you talk about how you had these big goals before you moved to tamarindo for the first time Mm. and you i think one of them was to lose weight one of them to like disconnect because back then you were super burnt out and you just worked your butt off when you were in the U.S. Yeah. What are you? So, what are your goals for this birthday mm. back in Tamarindo? What What do you got? I think you're right, that, and I totally forgot about that. I had goals of like to get get in the best shape of my life, to disconnect and actually work less and enjoy life, and to write a book. 
right? Yes, that was the third one. And I'll be happy to tell you that after 10 years, I'm one for three with those goals. I'm still trying to achieve the other two. So that means I've written a book. No, no. Uh, <laughs> definitely like being down here again, I'm, I'm busier than ever with work, but being down here and with the pandemic and just, you know, life and, you know, just trying to learn what life has to teach me, even though it's a little cliche. And so I'm really, really trying to be more in the moment and just breathe. And part of that is nature and your mindset and exercise. But part of that is also doing yoga and actually trying to breathe um, and actually enjoy the ride because, you know, I've been working like a dog. I still work like 70 hours a week and stuff, but oh my God. yeah, it's all good. I work from home. So it's not, you know, and I sort of make my own hours. So I choose that. So I, I have, you know, I work a lot, but I also have big freedom to be here in Tamarindo or mm -hmm. to be in the US or Asia or anywhere. But I really want to enjoy the ride, you know, and with the pandemic and everything going on and everything is unknown. I'm really, really trying my best to just focus on today and have a little bit of fun and enjoy it. Because if not, what the hell is the whole point? You know, I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's so true. So you're back in Tamarindo. I'm so curious. How has it changed? What's what's new? What's different? Are your friends still there even? You know, the funny thing is, even after 10 years, there's like just driving into town, be like, oh my God, I remember that guy. You know, he was oh. a, like a, a crackhead, uh, you know, like robbing people 10 years ago and he's still around, still doing the same thing. <laughs> Like, damn, that's a, that's a long journey he's been on, you know, like, um, so actually, yeah, there's a good handful of people that I still recognize and recognize me and uh, making new friends. Uh, Tamarindo has definitely grown up, meaning back in the day, you know, I wasn't a kid, but I was, uh, I don't know, what was I, 30s or something? But I was one of the older of the crew, but we were all poor. We all were just, you know, walking through the mud and on the dirt roads and, partying, dancing and reggae night at Pacificos and, you know, enjoying the beach and no one had any money. And now Tamarindo's moneyed up, meaning there's so many people from all over the world, Italy, Argentina, um, you know, from Miami, retirees from the US, Canada, with a lot of money buying condos and businesses. But the good thing is like, it physically hasn't changed as much as I expected. So beach is still clean. There's not like, 10 story hotels and resorts blocking the beach you know the structures are pretty much the same just a little nicer so i actually think they did a good job um probably a little safer probably a lot safer mm -hmm. from when i lived here you know there's still you know the colombians selling coke and these you know these guys robbing people and some little turf wars every once in a while you know but for the most part with the money comes more retirees uh, you know, expats who are buying properties. And so it's actually gotten a little safer and more organized. So uh, yeah, I think it's doing okay. Cool. Mm. That's good. That's interesting that it comes full circle. You're back after those 10 years and it's your Crazy. birthday. And Crazy. Yeah. yeah. And the first, the first couple of months here were wild. Like every place I would go, I would rediscover it or see someone that I knew or something. And and now it's just sort of familiar again. It's like, you know, take two. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, it's, it's been great. I'm enjoying it. Great. How's your Spanish? Terrible. Thank you. <laughs> que terrible. I actually just, uh, and, and here's another thing, which is 
sort of bad, but sort of good. They speak so much English in Tamarindo. And so now you have um, second generation, even third gen, but probably mostly second generation, meaning people who are 18, 20, 25, um, were, they were born in an environment where they knew that they should learn English because tourism is everything in Costa Rica, right? And so they, these kids or young adults were raised on English. So now it's even more widespread where waiters, hotel people, just the average person speaks basic English or a few words or enough. So I really want to learn Spanish and there's no excuses. I actually just texted a Spanish teacher today. We're going to start doing two times a week online, you know, um, because I want to pay respect to the country and to the people. And it's so, it's so annoying to me when like you go to another country and you expect them to speak your language but it's also super damn convenient. Mm -hmm. And half the time I'll start like speaking in Spanish and they're like, dude, just stop. It's terrible. Just let's speak English. <laughs> they're like, it's, it's nails on a chalkboard. You speak in Spanish. So not that bad, but uh, so yeah, it's a work in progress, but I, I do want to travel a lot more within Costa Rica, eventually to Colombia, to Panama, to back to Nicaragua. Um, so with that, I need to really to up my Spanish game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You'll have to tell me how those Spanish lessons go. Mm. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Very cool. So I want to talk about your book, but I feel like there's so much more we could talk about with Tamarindo. And I'm so excited that you're there. When you texted me that you're <laughs> leaving, I was like, oh my God, he's going back to Costa Rica. That's wild. But <laughs> how has COVID impacted everything? Are people wearing masks? Are people doing, doing so stuff? So it's interesting. Um, when I was in the US, I was in Connecticut uh, mm -hmm. with family for most of like from late March through November. And I was like the most careful person in the world. I was wound way too tight, but I was also living with my mom who's a little bit older and, you know, in the U S it's bad. Right. So coming down here, I was super, I won't say paranoid cause it's real, but I was like crazy. Don't come near me and hand sanitizer everywhere and eight masks. And, you know, but down here it is a little bit different and the culture is way more chill, but at the same time, there's more compliance. So what I mean by that is every hotel, every restaurant, every worker, you know, cleaning person, driver, wears a mask. And there's not a, it's not a political thing, Trump versus Republican, Demo, you know, mm -hmm. it's just everyone's like, yeah, we wear a mask. And there's like hand sanitizer everywhere. There's like every bus, everyone will wear a mask. There's never a person who says, I'm not going to wear one. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like a boat, everyone's rowing in the same direction right? It's, it's refreshing. Here in Tamarindo, everything is outdoors, like even the bars and restaurants and, sh you know, everything is maybe a roof, but open air. Um, you know, it's the beach, there's, there's ocean breeze, there's a lot of sunshine. And there are studies that like high vitamin D and sunshine really help. I think people eat healthier. So I think COVID isn't as bad as the States. Um, it still exists in the cities and stuff. I think less people probably get tested here, um, but they definitely still have COVID, but it's way like it, it doesn't dominate our lives like it did in the States, you know, and, and I'm very careful, but here I, I'm pretty chill. Plus, I think I already had it in around New Year's. Okay. Um, 
So I'm not a hundred percent like super worried about it. But if I go into a store, if I go, you know, being out of respect for someone else, of course I'll wear a mask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's killed tourism. It really has. Yeah. That's a tough thing. And mm. actually when we were doing our last interview, I think I had COVID because I was like, I had yeah. a little cold and then I tested positive and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. And you said it was going around your, your campus so much, and but and I was, I was like, well, number one, we're friends. I wanted to know you're okay. But I was also interested in everyone's experience with, so I was like texting you or messaging you like, Hey, how are you? How are you? You're like, dude, relax. I'm okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad you got, uh, you got over it. Yep. I'm back. We're back in school. It's like every, nothing changed except yeah. the freezing now. So yeah, good. We're hanging out, but yeah, I'm glad that everything is good down there. Cause I know when we were talking last time, it seemed like different countries were really strict about everything. I mean, you haven't been back to the Philippines yet. How's the Philippines too? It's, it's one, I mean, a lot of countries in the world are just going to live with it. You know, wow. they don't have the money to buy vaccines or they get the crazy Chinese or Russian vaccines that not many people, not as many people trust mm -hmm. Philippines. They're not, unless you're rich, the reality is you're never going to get vaccinated until maybe 2024 or something like that. So it, it, it was bad and it killed a lot of people and made a lot of people sick and hospitals were overwhelmed. But now I think they're at that point where they're just sort of going on with life and people get sick, people die, but life is still going on. I mean, I, I see videos and photos of my friends and these, these big clubs and packed and or gyms and no one's wearing a mask. And then, but then in public, they have to wear a mask or on the street or going into a store. So people I think are sort of living for good or bad with, with like the new normal of this shit's not going away quickly and we'll do the best we can, but life has to go on. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm very on that spectrum of being careful. I'm way towards the you know, conservative, not conservative uh, Republican, but, but conservative be careful. <laughs> You know, and, and it actually exists and be be damn careful and a respectful human being and respect mm -hmm. other people. But um, I think a lot of countries are just sort of figuring this is our fate and we'll just get through. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Good so point. Philippines isn't isn't doing great with it, but they're not thinking that the vaccine's going to save the day. They're like, hey, we'll lose, yeah. you know, two, three percent of our uh, older people, maybe. And life yeah. goes on. Yeah. Wow. So let's transition because mm -hmm. this is the one book we have not talked about, but let's talk about the Queens of Dragontown. Yes. I got mine too. And you yeah, there you go. find copies of all your books, which I was so grateful for. I was, in COVID. <laughs> I was in COVID quarantine and I got all these books and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm going to do with oh. my life. So that was amazing. And I loved the Queens of Dragontown. Even the font was cool. Like mm. you did so amazing with writing this book. And Thank if you. readers have not read the book, he basically took an experience, a natural disaster. Uh, yeah, a natural disaster of it wasn't a hurricane. It was a typhoon. Super typhoon Haiyan in yes. uh, or it's also called Yolanda internationally in 2013. Yeah. Yep. And you were without a credit card you were without money and you framed a story around being living in a bar with what you call bar girls and framed a story around their experiences basing that off of your experiences all around asia mm -hmm. yeah so yeah thank you so i'm 
glad you read it and you liked it. Um, and you said it a good way, like you framed a story. So this is not necessarily literal, but it's not untrue either. So basically, I've, you know, I've lived in Asia for seven years and uh, since 2013 full time. And so basically I had all these experiences across Philippines, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, rich, poor city, country, island. And I wanted to really document those in a narrative. Um, but I really, it, this is the first book that's not about me. I'm sort of the fly on the wall. It's really about, it, at, at its deepest, it's really about poverty and the dynamics of power. And so I sort of, like you said, take all these experiences and things I've witnessed and people I knew and situations I've seen, and I turn it into one, um, you know, like uh, I string it along as one narrative in this story and uh, yeah, and put it together. So it, that was tough to do from a writing, you know, a logistical standpoint, but I think hopefully I pulled it off, you know? You did, you definitely did. And I can only imagine like all of the sticky notes and like papers mm. that were just a strew while you were trying to write this thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. I loved it and I loved the raw you got from not only your own story, but from the people around you and from, mm. from what you've witnessed. I think that was the coolest part of the book. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's it's what we consider normal is like, you know, 1% of 1% of the world, right? And your perspective, what you're exposed to is so important. And one of the underlying themes is good people who have to do bad things just to survive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, morally, ethically, does that make them bad? Or are they just playing the game based on the rules they were given and that what they were presented. And, you know, like the more money you have, the more privilege you have, the more um, you could exercise judgment or say people should do this and shouldn't do this. But if you were down in the trenches living hand to mouth, and this is all you've known and all your relatives have known and everyone around you has known, then you're going to play by those rules too. And you're going to try to survive and do the best you can. So it was really about, you know, not judging what's right and wrong, but really telling, showing the world or showing these power dynamics or society in Asia from these different perspectives. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, hopefully I pulled it off, you know. <laughs> you did. And one of the most powerful things, even before I before I met you, I looked on your website and in blue letters, it says I write to serve. And this mm. book is an example of service in the fact that you are sharing people's stories and you are amplifying, even if it is fictitious, you're amplifying a story and a narrative that people in the U.S. don't get to hear. Yeah. Super yeah. powerful. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. It's giving a voice to people who otherwise would never have it. Mm -hmm. You know, and now nowadays, I think that's happening more, right? Because there's so many documentaries and, you know, profile on this and with the internet. And, you know, we're finding these little untapped untouched corners of the world and society and culture and telling these people's stories which is really powerful it's really wonderful but um that's really what i wanted to do is you know and like i said good people doing bad um things to survive and maybe bad people doing good i mean who knows you know there's so um yeah there's a lot in the book but of of the books they're all different you know it's like having three kids which do you like best um, but I think in terms of writing, of course, after working for years and years and years and writing it, you naturally get a little better. So I think there's, you know, in this book, the writing is probably a little bit better. 
than the other two. That's just my opinion, though. I wouldn't say that. I don't know. Okay. I, think, I think your writing is good in all the books because you're so honest with everything. And this is where you really got to shine because you wrote from a different perspective. So yeah. it was really cool. It was kind of cool to see how you've grown. Well, it was fun too, not, not yeah. making it about me. And like you said, on the website, I write to serve, which by the way, I don't even remember I wrote that shit. So I probably wrote it. You know, you got to write something on your website. I probably was trying to sound like a good guy. I just write that, you know, but, but, it, but in reality, it's true. You know, I want to tell these people stories and, and shed a light on them and give them some, you know, some legacy, give them uh, something that's going to last beyond maybe their, their lives, whether they're short or long or they're hard or they're easy. Um, so yeah, that's what I think I did with this one. But um, what, what parts really blew you away or shocking or surprising or like about the, the, these people's lives? What really grabbed you? I think just how you framed the corruption and the fact that you highlighted every single bar girl story in a different way. Mm. And so you, you kind of talked about everyone and there was one story. I don't remember the names cause I read this in November. So I'm like, oh, it's all good. Yeah. Back. Yeah. but you went to a girl's like town that was like 12 hours away. And mm -hmm. that was, that was wild because you got to see. So in the city, you saw poverty and then you were like, oh yeah, there's more poverty. That's even worse in this town. And that's when I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, so it's just like, there's so many levels of it that you don't get to see and yeah. you really shine light through that. But I think the biggest, most frustrating part was you tried to like unite the community after the, the typhoon. Mm-hmm. And you contacted, I think, the prime minister at mm -hmm. the point. Like, I don't know if that was real or not, because it's it's like you're playing with fiction in a really cool way. So when I say it, I'm going to assume it was real. But yeah, I'll, I'll, And I'll tell you about that after after your point. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you contact the prime minister in the book and you want to create an event. I think it was a concert or some sort of event to provide relief and he never gets back to you and you keep messaging him on like Facebook and he keeps sending you game requests and he wants to like, <laughs> play games with you. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so true. This is what happens yeah. in countries. And that was crazy. And, and so everything in the book is true. So it's not, it's not <laughs> fiction. Uh, like I didn't make anything up. What I did was change wow. places. I changed names. I changed timelines to string three years worth of experiences into one story. So yeah. in the in the book, it starts with, I'm on this island of, you know, Boracay. I don't remember if I called it Boracay or not, but in real life in the Philippines. And there was a super typhoon. And at that point, it was the biggest typhoon to ever hit land in, in the world. And we were stuck there. We couldn't evacuate. And, and you were partying. Was, <laughs> yeah, well, and we thought we were going to die, right? So... Yeah. This, they said there was going to be up to like 20 meter sea swells and like 200 and something kilometer per hour winds or 200 and something mile per hour. And so I'm looking at this little flat island and I'm like, this whole thing's going to be underwater. We're effing dead, you know, like this is it. And so the tension of that and, you know, seeing how the locals reacted to it and sort of panicking. And I was getting messages from people all over the world, like, yo, this shit is serious. You okay? And it's like, no, we can't get off the Island. And so basically then, you know, I'd hunkered down and in my little tiny condo, it was like only a little one room apartment actually, and bought like water and canned food and, you know, matches. And I thought, you know, waiting for afterwards, what was going to come. 
just to survive. And so me and this dude I knew there were like, well, we're going to die basically. So let's go down to the beach and just watch this thing roll in until it's not safe and then come back to the room and hunker down. And so we went to this little beach bar and the owner was the same way. He was like, we're all going to die. So just drink for free, you know? And so we just, as this storm rolls in, you know, it was sort of like the piano player on the Titanic, you know, it's like, we're all going down. Let's just go down drinking and watching it. And so we got nice and, and toasty, but after like an hour, it became apparent, probably like two hours, it became apparent that we weren't going to die because the very epicenter of the storm missed us by about 50 miles. Now we still had, you know, 150 mile an hour winds and giant, but the sea swells were also like hitting us where it wasn't flooding too, too bad, but still it was the craziest shit I've ever seen. So after that, fast forward to a few days after that, and we're on this little island and this is all hundred percent true. Well, actually the next morning, wake up at like 4am, there's no power, no electricity, I'm getting a cell phone signal on my phone, still from some far off island, but there's no internet on the island and no power. And I had recorded the day before during the storm on my GoPro, just a little bit of footage and just walked around. So people at four or 5 a.m., all the locals are already sweeping up and cutting down trees and fixing things. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. How could I help? Well, let me just upload this to YouTube. I don't know why, let me just get it out there. And so it took like forever trying to load this footage to YouTube. And I literally had to stand on the top floor and hold my phone <laughs> as a hotspot to try to like, but finally it loaded to YouTube. At that point, no one had footage around the world of this typhoon because the people who had it worse, this is the one that wiped out Leyte, Takloban, Samar, okay. and killed tens and tens of thousands of people. Wow. But of course, they didn't have any video footage and they weren't able to. So long story short, news media around the world picked up this footage. And I was actually on Good Morning America, interviewed on the Anderson Cooper CNN, all like Russia, Italy, Japan. I was on news media and my footage was. So exactly what you said after that, I was trying to do a fundraiser and then ran into corruption where they were like just a bunch of politics and you know, they're, it's too bad. I love the Philippines for so many reasons, but like if someone donates a dollar to help the people for a typhoon or, you know, the government's going to get 80 cents on that dollar and, and it just trickles down. It's, you know, the big government, small government, local government, neighborhood government, everyone takes a bite and there's very little for the, for the regular people. Um, the next part was, which was also true, unfortunately, I got cut off from my bank, like my bank cards wouldn't work. There was some security bullshit. Um, I couldn't log in to like, so I was stuck there and I had basically no access to money. And I was pretty damn close to being homeless. And it was, it was like panic mode. Cause in a foreign country, when you don't have your documents, when you don't have access to money, it gets real, really quick. And that's when some people I knew who owned a bar basically took me in and offered me, uh, offered to help and put me up. And that's when I start mixing in actual experiences and places I lived and people I knew in Cambodia and different parts of Philippine and Thailand. But that was um, the long story of how this whole thing started. Wow.
Yeah. I think that's the coolest part. And I didn't know that everything was true. I, I knew everything was intermingled, but I was like, what's real? And that's kind of cool. We learn about that a lot in school where you can't trust the narrator, which we can trust you, but we don't know how the story actually went down. Oh, you can't trust me, but you could trust that you can't trust me. So that's something, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, it's, it's all, like I said, you know, I had to storify, if you want to call it, I had to make a story out of it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, creative nonfiction, maybe that's what you'd call yeah. it. Who knows? But it's definitely not made up shit. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. But I, like I you said, want- I really wanted to document society, what these people have to do, what they have to learn, how they have to adapt, how they have to fight for their existence. And what you're talking about um, so far is the main character, really, right? Where this girl that I meet who becomes like a little sister who or someone I look out for who was sent off from the country to the city by her poor parents just to make money. And unfortunately that shit happens all the time, every day, all around the world. So I also wanted to like show it through her eyes, but also her evolution where she became, she started playing the game and playing it well. And be, you know, yeah. again, doing bad things just to survive, um, but still a good person. Um, but when I went to her village, that's still one of the most, and it's uh, totally true, one of the most amazing experiences of my life and just nuts, the conditions and what you see. And it's so hot. My God, it's so hot. <laughs> no air con, no fan, no electric, you know, like one electric outlet. And, uh, but it was, it was really a, a life-changing experience. Wow. Yeah, I think that was, and I even forgot, I think her name was Sofar, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. in the book, she got there, she didn't speak any of the language because her her town had a different language. And then she learned how to play, I think it was Connect Four, so yep. that she could beat the game. And then she would get money by beating the guys who would come in to the bar at Connect Four. And she Yeah, like, so there was like a literal and metaphorical game, right? So yeah. basically she got sent to these bars that are sort of like hostess bars where mm-hmm. the girls are sitting there and, you know, guys come in tourists and they have drinks and whatever. And if they want to take them out and do whatever, you know, it has to be consensual, but it's still, you know, it's still basically, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? Like not human trafficking, but it's still the human trade, you know, it's mm-hmm. like these poor girls are forced to do this stuff. Yeah. So, but in these bars, like she didn't speak any English and all the clientele spoke mostly English. So she had to learn a few words. So there's different angles, different ways for them to survive and everyone finds a niche and it's not always the same, but hers was the actual game, the literal game connect Four, And she just found that if she could like be better at that, that was her in to try to earn drink money. You know, if she got the guys to buy drinks, then that's really how she paid uh, for her to eat and her room and board and for her life. And so she started playing that game and that was what uh, set her apart and what got her started surviving. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was a powerful book. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. It was. yeah it's, it's some, it's some serious subject matter. And I realized as like a white male writing it, there's some sensitive topics, you know, um, but again, it's not about me and it's not about my judgment. And, and it's just really about telling the stories of these, these girls, these people, these, um, this segment of society, these places in the world 
and what's normal and typical for them is just friggin' mind boggling for us, you know? So just to raise people's awareness and broaden their perspective a little. And hopefully there was, you know, there was a lot of sad stuff. There was a lot of crazy stuff, but there was a little bit of humor in the book too, as is life, right? It's not all bad. Yeah. And you have a good tone in the book where it doesn't feel like some of these situations, you can feel hopeless when you learn about them for the first time. So you bring a nice light to it and the fact that we can empathize with these people and we can learn more and dive deeper, but we can also see like the good things in life and the night, like we can see the positives in a way. Like it's all, it's not all bad, which yeah. is, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's like, life is usually a little bit more complex than just good guys, bad guys, black, white, you know, like a lot of, you know, in some cases, these girls were the victimizers and running game and scamming yeah. and stealing but of course they were forced to do that because of life circumstances. You know, if they went to great schools, they would have been lawyers and doctors and, you know, and that's the big picture is the statement of, Hey, let's try to give people in life an equal chance. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, a lot of the, the humor in the book, I think is them making fun of me yeah. for not knowing their world. And I think there's, uh, Oh God, that, uh, that little room I was staying in was so disgusting, but like the, the rats running across my bed or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was, I was screaming and the girls were like, you know, making fun of me and, you know, every chance they got, you know, doing this thing where they'd point to my shirt and I'd look down and, you know, so I was the butt of a lot of jokes, I think, which is fine, you know, but um, I tried to include that in the book too. Yeah. That's good. And that's cool that you got to develop that relationship with those girls and see, I don't know if it was all consecutive in that way, but you could see a side of a side of them that they normally wouldn't open up to, to tour. Yeah. 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 And it's uh, with the ending. Um, do you, do you remember the ending at all? Uh, didn't you just, okay. I remember. So everything starts like it. falling <laughs> apart. Right. Yeah. And it's, it becomes a little bit more political where there's like riots in the street yes. and okay. yeah. And yeah. so um, how, how did you like that ending? I thought it was really good. I, okay. I only remember like the ending of how you started to leave the bar and then the relationship shifted right when you left and you got out of their, their world, they kind of shut down to you and you went into the hotel and it wasn't, it wasn't the same anymore. That's kind of what I remember. And then I remember there was a big fire and the politics was with China. I think there was like, there was a lot of politics in the yeah. fact a bigger country wanted to come into a smaller country, which happens to this day. I mean, it's still, yeah. Big, big fish eats <laughs> little fish. That's yeah. the history of the world, right? Whether it's colonialism or, or now economic colonialism, like in Asia, you know, like China buying up all of Cambodia, for instance, or Philippines or, you know. Um, but yeah, in the end, it was sort of like I was uh, finally getting back on my feet and able to get back to my normal, my, you know, uh, having my bank cards, my passport, being able to travel back to the U S or wherever I wanted to go. But these girls, nothing was going to change for them. And they were always going to be the same and they were never going to get out of that cycle of poverty. So that's where the relationship shifted, where there was a little, you know, like you're leaving, you're just, you're just a tourist. You're not really one of us, you know, a little bit of resentment or just coldness, yeah. but with, with the end, yeah, there was actually, and this is taking a piece from when I've been in Cambodia, but also Thailand, where there was civil unrest. And like Thailand has a coup like every 
seven years or something. It's insane how many revolutions or there's, there's three bodies of their government. There's the king or the, well, the king died, unfortunately, but the monarchy or the royalty, there's like the parliament or the prime minister, and then there's the military. And I'm probably saying the names wrong. I don't know if they have a parliament, but basically, and of those two or three, they're always fighting. And when two gang up against one, they gain power. It's usually the military jumps on one side or the other, and then they're going to have the power. So in Thailand, it's like the red shirts versus the yellow shirts, the elite versus, you know, the old money versus the new money or, and so they have nonstop coups or revolutions or street protests. It doesn't disrupt the country, interestingly enough, as much as it does like revolutions in Africa or Latin America or, or Eastern Europe or something life sort of goes on and it's even not crazy unsafe for tourists there if you just stay the hell out of it. But it goes to show how fragile society is, whether it was the typhoon that knocked it out in the beginning, like we see now with the pandemic, right? How friggin' fragile everything that we think is normal and secure and stable and our, our t- tierra firma doesn't really exist. It's, it's just a house of cards. And so at the end, it was this political unrest and people getting violent in the streets and some of that turned anti-foreigner. And so like the, the whole thing was devolving and going up in flames right at the end when I got out. And at the very end, instead of giving money to poor people, the I think it was the King's Son or something in this book um, built a massive like billboard with his face on it with lights and everything. And that was true. That was in Cambodia. And I mean, there was people living on the sidewalks with nothing to eat, just dying right in front of you. And this guy is spending a hundred thousand dollars or whatever for a billboard of his own face. And to me, that juxtaposition was like so terrible, but really spelled it out. But there was a guy climbing like a, a protester climbing up it. And that's how the book ended. And basically the police were rushing in and we don't really know what happened to the guy, but we sort of do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm in English class with you. You're like quizzing me. <laughs> you get an A plus young lady. <laughs> no, that's, that, that is a really cool perspective on how you got to merge that. And we even see that today on TikTok with Myanmar. There's a the aerobics coach and a coup is happening behind her like yeah. that yeah crazy. it's 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 crazy right it's uh and i see like in and again that's why social media also is you know a lot of people say it's it's bad because of this or that but it's also giving a voice or a picture or an image connecting people from around the world and i saw in myanmar there's people hope holding up signs in english i saw one that was powerful i don't remember what it was but you know through tiktok or instagram or whatever even when the government there is shutting down internet and shutting down, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, we only have 10 minutes left and I want to ask you a bunch of questions. Well, we can have more than that. I don't <laughs> okay. Up to you, up to you. <laughs> but I wanted to ask a couple more questions regarding life now, life in Tamarindo and your entrepreneurial ventures, because you are mm. such an entrepreneur. You have so many jobs and, Whenever I Google you, it seems like you have a new project. <laughs> so, so let's start by talking about, let's start by talking about the entrepreneurial mindset. What does that okay. mean to you? 
It means if you made me sit in an office and work for someone else, I would go absolute batshit crazy and I couldn't do it. And I would go psychotic in like 24 hours and I've tried to do it. So to me, like I said, before we started recording, I'd rather work 70 hours for myself than have to be in an office and have to, and, and I don't mind subjugating my ego because I'm basically like a virtual marketing assistant is what yeah. I do now. So it's not about me being, you know, Batman, I'm Robin, you know, but I'd rather do it on my own terms and my own uh, timeline and I get to work from home. But most importantly, it affords me freedom to work online from anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I could be in Asia or Tamarindo or US or go, I have to go to Mexico in two weeks just for 48 hours to get a new visa. It's going to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> then I just come right back. I like, I literally won't even leave airport hotels because of COVID, mm -hmm. but I'll still be working the whole time. So it, it, it also speaks to that money is not everything. Like it's, it's damn important, especially if you don't have it, it's everything. But mm -hmm. at a certain point, you know, making 200,000 instead of 100,000 a year, which I don't make either of those, is not going to improve the quality of your life double. So each person, and this is good to know when you're young, don't listen to society, your friends, what people show on Instagram, what commercials tell you, you should have, sort of figure out what kind of lifestyle, reverse engineer what kind of lifestyle you want and how much that will cost and then how to achieve that. I like that. That's good advice. And what has been your favorite job? Cause I know you mingle in marketing, but I think you've done some other things too. So what has been your favorite job so far you mean in, in, this... in life or yeah, in this remote space and in life In in, in life, it was probably being a, a amateur marijuana dealer in college because, <laughs> and I wasn't very good at it. Basically I would just make enough just to smoke for free and whenever a hot girl wanted to buy weed, I was a sucker. I would just give it to him for free. So I think I lost money, but I got to carry around a beeper, right? Oh. Do you remember those? No, I was born no? in 2000. So well, go Google that shit. Beepers were like the thing back in the day. And, you know, like basically there was only, no one ever beeped me. My God, I was ridiculous. But basically like, my girlfriend and my mom were the only ones that had my beeper number. So I was far from a real drug dealer. And my girlfriend, I was like, all right, only beep me if there's an emergency. It would be 911, 911. Oh my God, what's going on? She's like, could you bring me a Subway sandwich? I was like, oh geez. So I wasn't a very good pot dealer, but it was a, a, a good job to have at that time. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> you ended up in jail for it. I know that. Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> well, I did end up in jail, but uh, no, it was, uh, that was for something else. That was, uh, actually at that point, that was really my roommate stuff. Um, yeah. they, it wasn't a big deal, but they were growing a bunch of weed in the house and had some like half pound of mushrooms or something, unfortunately. And this is way before the culture is so accepting. Now this is like yeah. 90 mid nineties in Colorado. And we were in a very strict, uh, like area of Colorado. So yes, they wanted to put me in federal prison for four years just for that. And I avoided that and just did a few weeks in county jail. So it's all good. But thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you you have to bring your crazy stories from your friends. So I, I figured I'd do the favor to you. I know, I know, right? 
not many people know about that one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really funny. So thankfully, my job now is a lot more boring, right? <laughs> I, I don't need exciting anymore. I like boring at this point in my life, but Good. boring by the beach, I'll take it all day long. Yeah, that's hilarious. I always ask about career choices just because I'm still deciding what I want to do. I'm only 20, almost 21 in one month. So nice, nice. Month. Um, but I think that was the best story that I've ever heard. Just because (laughs) (laughs) no help to me at all. (laughs) But then again, it's a good learning experience. Like I said, I'm 40, I just turned 49 yesterday. And I don't have anything figured out. I have no friggin' clue what's going on. You stumble forward. You do the best you can. Don't think it's you're going to reach a magical point where everything is going to be like clear to you and you're going to have everything decided and it all figured out. It just doesn't happen. Do the best you can, but enjoy what you do. And it's never perfect. But if you enjoy what you do, if you enjoy the people you work with, maybe you work more hours, maybe it's less money. But if you're passionate about it, that goes a long way. That's what you're going to remember looking back, you know? Mm -hmm. Good advice. Okay, I want to continue this advice train because this is a fun question. Sure, I'll give bad advice all day long. I I should charge for this shit. (laughs) What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Start taking uh, Rogaine and Propecia, maybe a little... (laughs) I should have done that shit a long time ago. No, no. Um, you know, I was, I was insane. I was absolutely certifiably crazy when I was young, but I would say, which is fine. You should be when you're young. Right. I would say, enjoy it. Don't always look towards, well, if I get to this place, it's going to make me happy. And if I get you know, this job or make this amount of money, it's going to make me happy or I'm going to enjoy my life. Or if I find these new friends or this new click, or if I, you know, hit a certain these days fitness goal, or if I drive this car or I move to this country, nothing's going to make you happy except you. That stuff's all great, but you have to really, uh, and part of that is being in the moment and being content and just, you know, life, life sucks sometimes, a lot of times, but just doing the, the best you can and the other, the other advice, which is really important, is I didn't even know what networking is when I was 20 years old. I didn't even realize what that was probably like till I was in my 30s. And I realized I was also good at it. But keep in touch with people because the people, forget your degree, forget this, forget your certifications and what's on paper. The people you keep in touch with and the relationships, whether it's friendships or people on your podcast or people you stay in touch. That's the true gold in life. Yeah. So I think you're, I think you're doing pretty damn well, actually. Maybe I need advice from you. Give me advice, please. You know, (laughs) thank you. Well, I have, I can give yoga advice. Okay. You want to focus on breathing. And I learned Mm -hmm. this. I think it's super wild, but most people actually breathe in their chest and not in their diaphragm, not deeper in their stomach. So whenever I'm stressed out in school, I'm always trying to focus in my stomach and like breathe deeper. Yeah. But it makes a difference, right? Yeah, it's wild, but I think the average person with so much stress, especially these days and money, and it goes so fast that we're taking all these superficial breaths, but even just stopping and going ah, like three yeah. times, five, you know, they say 10 times, but usually you do three of those <laughs> and it like changes your your chemistry and your mindset and just 
calms you down. And so breathing is, is everything. Yeah, you're right. Everything. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I wanted to end, I already asked you my fun, where would you not go question, but I want to ask about your comfort zone philosophy. And I think that's a really good place to end on because you have a really cool philosophy. You call yourself the enemy of the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So let's, explain that if you can explain why you're the enemy of the comfort zone and then explain a story in which you were the most uncomfortable oh boy that's <laughs> gonna be interesting <laughs> um well enemy of the comfort zone it was it's again it's a catchy little thing right mm-hmm. but it's also i realized for years and years i was you know decades struggling struggling going from one struggle to the next and oh my god and like you know just again, don't know what the hell I'm doing in life and getting my ass kicked by life left and right. And why me? And then I realized I was like, but I'm pretty good at it, you know? And, (laughs) and and the reason is also because I was taking chances and I was going places that I wasn't used to, or I didn't know about. And I was trying things that humbled me and I was really bad at and new experiences, like I said. And so the whole thing is get out of your comfort zone, right? And that's where the really good stuff happens. That's where the growth and the development mm-hmm. and it takes courage or bravery. I don't think I'm either, but for me, I think I'm deep down sort of addicted to that. Um, you know, like what's over that curiosity, maybe like what's over here. And what if I try this and, oh my God, that looks impossible. But what if I actually attempted it? You know, that sort of, um, you know, contrarian mindset and so, yeah, I realized I'm good at being bad at life. And so I, I definitely get, get out of my comfort zone as much as I can. And it's not like a, you know, a, a formal mantra or anything like that. But again, I think the deep, the deep thing is curiosity. I'm always just, I have a lot of wonderment about people and cultures and what's over there and what's behind that curtain, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right. What's your crazy discomfort story? What do you got? Jesus, I don't know about that one. I have to think about that. Um, number one, wearing this super tie-dye tank top, and I thought we were doing just audio, and you wanted to see video. You know? <laughs> I think it's. Oh man, I love the interaction. I, like <laughs> I know it. you're right. You're right. It's a, it's a better dynamic when you can see people. Mm-hmm. God, I, I mean, out of the comfort zone. Okay, so here's one, and it goes back to my friend Judd Reed. Um, okay. So he's like this karate master, right? They, they're insane. All the people that train Kyokushin or Kyokushin karate, so yeah. just strong and disciplined. And the stuff they do is just unbelievable. Such good athletes. So he invited me since I was helping him promote that documentary. Yeah. He invited me to his fight camp. He does these fight camps in Thailand. And it was like, at that point, it was like 12 days, three workouts a day, at least an hour, hour and a half, full contact fighting, like, insane stuff they're like just the craziest shit you've ever seen and he was like yeah just come as like promotional dude and take pictures and videos and write magazine articles about it great oh and if you want jump into the classes and train with us a little yeah no problem and i was like and this is again why i'm you know bad at life because i take these chances so and i was in terrible shape i hadn't i never trained karate before just a tiny bit of boxing so first day I get there and he gives me a gi, you know, like the uniform. Yeah. And I ended up doing the whole thing. And I was just suffering from 
dawn to dusk. I was like the punching bag to every man, woman, and child, like blocking kicks with my face, broke three ribs. Like I've been to, and now I've been to three of his, his karate camps. I like broke this, that, like busted both Achilles, like, oh, oh yeah, but it's great. It's, it's wonderful, you know, but, <laughs> but that one was particularly bad, but I was proud of myself, not how I performed, but that I got through it. And that's the point, right? Is like, you're going to get your ass kicked. You're going to not do well sometimes. Shit's going to be stacked against you. It's really going to hurt. Just keep going and don't quit. And something better will come of it. So that's that's the rated G. Um, <laughs> embarrassing story. I'll think of another one for the next podcast that's uh, rated R. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> well, I think... This was an amazing interview and I'm so just grateful for our conversation. I think you bring so much to this world with your writing, but then you also bring such a different level when we get to talk and it makes my day every time, even if I have COVID. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm glad you're doing better and you know, but you have some amazing stuff going on. So let me know how I can support you. I'm a big fan and I definitely want you on the who in the world podcast whenever you're ready. Thank you. I'm excited. Well, thank you. Again, that was my interview with Norm Schriever. I really hope you enjoyed his story. This is the second time he came on, so if you haven't heard his first interview, I highly recommend you check it out. Also, all of his books are on Amazon. Check out his podcast, Who in the World, to learn more about the crazy people he's met up with in the past. And just keep listening in. He has so much wisdom to provide, and I hope you learned a lot from his story and the work he does around the world. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Going Places. If you did, I encourage you to leave a review or message me on social media. I'm all over the place, so feel free to find me. And thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate everything you guys do as listeners. I am so grateful for everyone who tunes into Going Places. So thanks for tuning in. I can't wait to see where you go and have a great day. Thanks. Bye.